Welcome to this edition of the Padres On Deck Podcast. This week, Bill Center of Padres.com and John Conniff and David Jay of Mad Friars wrap up the minor league regular season by discussing the playoff pushes by five different Padres affiliates, how the Chihuahuas, Mission, and Tin Caps will perform in the playoffs, and much more in this final edition of the Padres On Deck Podcast for the 2017 season. Hello, Padre fans. Welcome to the final edition uh, this season of Padres on Deck podcast. Uh, the review of the minor league season, a little look ahead to the uh, what's going to happen in the playoffs, and then in the Arizona Instructional League, Fall League, and into the winter. I'm Bill Center at Padres Central on Twitter and at Padres.com uh, with uh, three pieces a day actually online. And I am joined today by uh, my co-host, David Jay and John Conniff. At, uh, you can find them at madfriars.com and at madfriars on Twitter. Uh, guys, welcome. Welcome. Hi, Bill. It's Thanks, Bill. Good to talk okay. to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going we're gonna to start with a quick uh, season review. Going from the top and working down, uh, three of the four Padres uh, uh, full-season teams have made their respective playoffs. Triple uh, A El Paso won eight of the ten, last ten games to overtake uh, Salt Lake and advance to the uh, Pacific Coast League playoffs for the third straight year. The defending PCL champions will be opening uh, of the playoffs, um, the best of five first round, uh, Wednesday in Reno with uh, Friday and, if needed, Saturday and Sunday in El Paso. Double A San Antonio swept both halves of the Texas League uh, season, their division. Uh, they also open the playoffs Wednesday uh, against uh, Midland. They play Wednesday and Thursday at San Antonio. Then they go to Midland Friday and, if necessary, Saturday, come back to San Antonio for the fifth game if needed on Sunday. And, of course, Fort Wayne with that great second-half rush. Uh, they will open the Midwest League playoffs on uh, Wednesday uh, at Bowling Green, and then be home for the second game and third game if needed. That's only a best two of three first round. Uh, interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna take out the El Paso part just very briefly here. Uh, they're a little bit of a surprise that uh, they weren't even a 500 team uh, with two weeks to go in the season. Actually, a week to go in the season, and finished with a rush. They have a very interesting lineup. Nick Buss is the first. Uh, uh, Chihuahua to ever win the Pacific Coast League batting title with a 340 average, 343 average, or 348, excuse me. Um, I apologize. But interestingly, he's like the fifth outfielder. That team has uh, Hunter Renfro in right now. They've got Travis Jankowski in center, uh, Franchi Cordero in left, or Rafael Ortega, who uh, uh, is also won the uh, tied for the. Pacific Coast League stolen base uh, title. So very interesting team, not like last year where they had four prospects and they kept them down there. Andy Green mentioned yesterday that if they need help, that they, would, they wouldn't they uh, would hesitate to go down and call somebody up as a September call-up. But right now he's going to leave uh, El Paso is. Uh, have you guys seen El Paso this year? What do you think of that? What do you think of their chances of defending? We'll start. We'll, uh, let's start with David. 
Yeah, so I went out to El Paso early on in the season, and obviously the roster's uh, significantly different right now than it was uh, at the start of the year when uh, Jamie Romack was getting calls from Padres', Padres Twitter to be the uh, future face of the franchise. So uh, certainly things have changed a fair amount since then, but uh, certainly that outfield you look at, um, you know, certainly the organization didn't hope to have Jankowski and uh, Renfro starting at the AAA level at this point in the year. But uh, you look at what Renfro's done since his demotion, obviously he's, he's hit the ball a ton, but more importantly, he, uh, you know, has seven strikeouts against six walks in about 63 plate appearances, which is uh, the sort of improvement that they were looking for when they sent him out. Um, and while there's not really anybody on the pitching staff that you'd look at, um, and and get terribly excited about there are a couple of guys especially in the bullpen who've really been uh, strong for them down the stretch here and uh, you know at this point they they've got they are who they are and they're going to get a chance to to play together through the championship here you know two weeks ago they pretty much purged their bullpen they they changed like five guys in their bullpen Another interesting note on them is the fact that uh, Ryan Schimpf is no longer starting at third base. They're sort of going with Villanueva or Goris or Bus. Either Bus plays first, but they've been moving the other two guys around, and, and Schimpf has sort of been just coming off the bench. Uh, we'll go to San Antonio now, which uh, uh, really had a good season, and they won both halves of the Texas League title probably have one of the best uh, rotations. It's going to be very interesting to me how they use their, the five starting pitchers they've got. They actually use six at times, but the five starting pitchers that they've got down there uh, in the short uh, playoff series. Uh, John, I know you've seen them recently. Uh, give me an update there on San Antonio and what do you think their chances are in the Texas League playoffs? You know, when I saw them down there, they just looked a really kind of run down a little bit. I mean, I think playing in that Texas heat for so many games so quickly kind of got to them. But, you know, the two pitchers that I think are kind of under the radar and kind of the key to how well they're going to do is Anya De Los Santos and Brett Kennedy, who pitched the majority of innings and really put up some pretty good numbers. Because I think right now of the big three top prospects, Lucchese, Cal Quantrill, and Eric Lauer. Lucchese is only the one who's really been performing. I mean, both Quantrill and Lauer have had been up and down, and uh, I think we'll probably see him back there next year again too. Interesting that both uh, both Kennedy, well, Kennedy leads the Texas League in wins, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. both of those two guys, Kennedy and uh, De Los Santos, rank, rank in the top. Seven, I think, and earn run average in the league. Uh, it, it's going to be – Lauer had a very good start his last time out. Uh, Lucchese right. has been solid all the way through. Uh, but like you said, they didn't finish strong. Uh, Fran Mule Rays, at, he, he did lead the Texas League in homers, but he finished uh, with 102 RBIs. That's a lot, but that's his total like a week ago. So it'll be very interesting to see how they finish off here. He has a little bit of problem. I mean, Framil Reyes has his best season in, in a lot of categories, but the one thing that kind of worries him a little bit, and I think what the Padres are putting more emphasis on is, you know, he also had 134 strikeouts and 507 at-bats, and especially at the end of uh, the month, he was striking out a lot, and 
also hitting a lot of home runs. So I think they're going to want to see a little more plate discipline going forward. And, you know, I still think there's a chance along with David that they probably move him uh, to first base and out of the corner outfield. But, you know, as I said before on this podcast, he's, he's a huge man at six five two sixty two. 262, you know. And getting bigger. Uh, <laughs> Fort Wayne, now Fort Wayne, uh, it's, made the great second half rush. And again, mm-hmm. we're talking about the youngest team in the Midwest league at the start of the season, uh, finished really strong and they go into the, uh, they, they have host the, have the home field advantage for the first round, but in the second, once they get deeper, they, they probably will be on the road for most of the playoffs. And, uh, Good young team. Hudson Potts has really come on strong in the second half. Uh, John, I know you've uh, been at Fort Wayne too. Uh, what's what's your take on the uh, tin caps? Well, the weather was a lot better in Fort Wayne than it was in Texas when I was down there. That was the first thing. Um, <laughs> the biggest thing is, I mean, they did recover from the move of Fernando Tatis up to Double A, and like as you said, I think Hudson Potts, who uh, David had the Player of the Month, which is on Fox Sports San Diego right now and he was our player of the month for the system, had just a great, great second half. I mean, he had 18 of his 20 home runs after June 1st. He was a Padres first-round pick in uh, 2016. Some people thought he was a bit of an overdraft. You know, he's a very uh, – I think he had the lowest, uh, highest fielding percentage of any third baseman in the Midwest League, and I think he's a full two months older than Tatis. So he's another guy who's 18, and uh, Padre fans will get a chance to see him next year at Lake Elsewhere. Interesting that now Tatis, of course, shortstop, moved up to the to the Texas League at 18. Mm-hmm. They now have 17-year-old Gabriel Arias playing uh, shortstop for Fort Wayne in the Midwest League playoffs. So they're they got even younger on the left-hand side of the infield. Um, one other thing, how case okay, Ben Sheckler, of course, won the uh, uh, Midwest League earned run average, but they've got the three. Uh, Sensational Cubans there, uh, Michelle Bays, Michael Bays, uh, Mora Han, and um, how do you think that's going to work out? Uh, what do you what do you see for the uh, rotation at Fort Wayne in the playoffs? Well, Bay Bayes is a tough name to pronounce. It took me a, a few times to get it too. It's Michelle Bayes, and it should be Bayes, Mora Han, and Avila, who's a Dominican guy, and I think it. I would say that right now, you know, Fort Wayne has a better chance of going further in San Antonio, even though I think San Antonio has better prospects. I think Fort Wayne has better players for this level, and how far they go is going to be how far the starting pitching takes them. You know, Baez, I haven't seen him pitch since spring with uh, David. I thought Baez is a lot of fun to watch. It's 6'8", right-hander, big fastball. He has a pretty good curveball. His change-up's coming. Avila is really kind of a a good bulldog to have and more home. I think we've talked about before. I've always been a big fan of his, but you know, a, a lot of guys, I think Potts will help. And uh, Brad Zinica, who had 18 home runs, he just came off the DL along with Marcus green and uh, Kyle Overstreet's hit well. So I, I think four wins a little bit of a sleeper. I think they could go pretty far in the playoffs. Interesting that yes, you've got uh, Zinica come back. You had Marcus green come back. And yet they mm-hmm. kept Kyle Overstreet there and didn't send him back to good bat. They didn't send him. They didn't move him back to uh, Lake Olson, or they kept him down there for the playoffs. 
Um, well, Plumica didn't get back until the last day of the season, so I think they they wanted to make sure they had the versatility there. And quite frankly, Overstreet deserves the chance to be part of that group, having uh, really taken one for the organization and stepping back in August right. and stepping really down, kept right. that offense going. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Now, Andy Green was talking yesterday about how we had two other franchise teams, uh, Tri City. Uh, Actually, they didn't score a run in the season's final two innings, uh, 42 innings. Uh, they mm-hmm. just missed the Northwest League playoffs, and the Padres number two just missed the Arizona Rookie League playoffs. And he and he was talking about he thought both of those teams might have made it if the Padres weren't the only team with three rookie level uh, ball clubs. Uh, they have the two in the Arizona Rookie League. Uh, and he thought, boy, it w- wouldn't it have been something if they had uh, five teams in the playoffs? Uh, David, I know you've been down in Arizona, so we're going to let you do the update here on what you saw when you were down there and uh, who to watch uh, going into the Arizona Instructional League. Yeah, uh, you know, August is always a lovely time to be in the Valley of the Sun, so I, uh, I'm, I'm glad I drew that straw again this year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the the point about the, the club making a run at the playoffs, you know, while it's certainly in the AZL, the focus, especially on the pitching side, is just about making sure guys get their work. I will tell you that that, that, that group was, uh, was definitely pushing for it, and uh, everybody knew what was going on uh, with the Mariners in the last couple of days as they were as they were fighting for that spot um and certainly you look at the the roster of guys who weren't part of the team that um you know was was pushing for the playoffs and you've got a lot of guys who are are going to show up on top 30 lists this year so the fact that they were not you know if if they had all been on one roster i do certainly think that's true they would have uh, been the prohibitive favorites down there um you know, when you when you look at the guys who stood out between those two rosters, you've got a really nice mix of both domestic and U.S. kids. You've got, uh, you know, obviously the the guys from the top of this year's draft class. Mackenzie Gore was was really fantastic in his limited work down there. Uh, the you you keep hearing over and over again people talking about his intelligence on the mound, the way he's thinking through. Uh, batter by batter and his production was fantastic you've got you know the the catchers at the top of the list i know uh, blake hunt had a shoulder issue and so didn't get a lot of action behind the plate but uh but you've got luis Campusano who went back and forth between the two clubs did a really nice job is is definitely a an offensive threat uh and then uh, another catcher who's a little bit more under the radar is is uh, Juan Fernandez, who came up after being in the DSL last year, he's a, Valencia, uh, a Venezuelan kid who uh, played the entire year at 18. He's definitely an offense first guy. So you've got folks, you know, like I said, you've got you've got a lot of high profile kids, and then they had a really nice mix of some older players out of the draft. A couple of guys who were returners this year, uh, uh, Diane Olmo, who was really stellar last year in the AZL, got passed by a couple of younger outfielders in the system. And so he was back in, in Arizona this summer, uh, really down the stretch, played fantastic. And, you know, even a guy like Eggie Rosario, who started the year out in uh, the North, in, in the Midwest League, got sent back when the AZL opened. And he responded with a with a strong season overall and a little bit better focus on, on the field and, you know, 
developed the way the organization was hoping to see him. So a lot of things to like in in that group. You know, there are 85 players there, so it's hard uh, not to find a couple worth worth enjoying. Well, we're going to segue right from the Arizona Rookie League because most of those kids go straight to the Arizona Instructional League, which uh, which starts here almost immediately. And our, what are, I know one of the things that the Padres are going to be looking at is Robbie Erlin is going to be throwing down there uh, in the Arizona Instructional League just to get some innings under him. And, uh, uh, of course, the Arizona, that's a place where you make position changes. It's a place for uh, young players. What do you expect from the Arizona Instructional League this year? And what do you think we're going to see when the Arizona Instructional League players come over here for their second annual Padres on Deck uh, games? Well, they're uh, they're shortening up their program this year. They're going to run essentially a three-week program. Uh, you know, in the past, a lot of the minor leaguer guy, minor league guys, really didn't get into the organization until March in the year. For so many of these guys. Uh, they've been playing since February and some of the kids from Latin America started in, in January in the Dominican complex and then came right into stuff in February. So, uh, they've shortened it up a little bit. Um, you know, in, there are certainly going to be a, a number of guys who we haven't seen throw this year who will get the chance to get some innings. I watched Erlin and Colin Ray uh, throw bullpen sessions while I was out there. Uh, you know, Ray obviously had surgery about four months after Robbie and is a little bit behind him, but you know, he's he's back at the point that he's on the mound. Uh, they're hoping to get the Taiwanese kid uh, who who didn't throw it all this year some innings in instructs. Uh, looks like Chris Paddock will probably be back on the mound at some point in instructs, so that'll be a, a big piece for the organization. And then, like you said, it's it's a chance to get some guys some more direct instruction uh, in situations where they can control the environment a little bit better, put put people in specific situations, uh, you know, roll over innings if, if guys are getting stuck on the mound. So uh, it, it really is a, very much about development for people. And, uh, you know, when we, when the group gets out here at the end of September, uh, you know, it'll be a really nice, showcase event for for the organization it does sound like uh at least gore and maybe a couple of the other young pitchers probably won't actually throw competitive innings uh through through the program but uh we'll still get a chance to get a look at a bunch of guys out here we could see robbie erlin in that uh instructional league uh, game here uh they were they really want to get some innings under erlin um it's, i think they're even talking about a winter ball for him um, yeah. Okay, we're going to wrap up here today. We're going to wrap up for the season. I want to. I'm going to put you both on the hot spot. Uh, I think we already mm-hmm. heard from uh, John. He's predicting that uh, Fort Wayne goes deeper in the playoffs than San Antonio. Uh, but from the top, uh, how far? Uh, I'm going to ask David first, then John, and these. How far does El Paso get this year? You know, I, I, I honestly, it's, I, I, I don't really have much of an uh, informed opinion on it. And I don't think it really matters that much either for the players or the organization at this point. Um, I do think that, that the Fort Wayne and San Antonio clubs are, are uh, a little bit 
more important to see in terms of the player development side. Um, but like John said, you've got a lot of pitchers who've, who are getting up against their innings in San Antonio, so they'll have to manage that a little bit. So I think he's probably right that of the three, uh, it's the folks out of Fort Wayne who have the best shot of, of going deep, especially because they are going into the playoffs uh, on such a hot run here. David? That just wasn't it. <laughs> oh, oh, for okay. me? I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm no sorry. problem. Um, yeah, I think kind of what David said. I mean, the thing it's interesting about El Paso, the one guy I've always enjoyed is Frenchy Cordero. You know, I think he's going to have to cut down on his strikeouts to be more of a, a really viable uh, prospect to make his um, ability come through. But I'm not sure how far they will go. I think because so many teams are calling up different guys. As far as Fort Wayne, that's the guys I'm really going to watch. And I think, like David said, we're going to be careful that some of these guys are pushing up against their innings limits. But uh, it should be fun. And there's some more stuff for us to write about for the next month. You know, to me, the one thing is that El Paso is and Fort Wayne too. They have such great followings that I think oh, yeah. that I, and I know the Padres really respect the following that those two teams have in their hometowns, and uh, I and they thoroughly enjoyed the playoffs last year. I know they're excited. Uh, to me, I think I put a little bit more stock in these playoffs than uh, you guys do because. I look at it not only as the prospects, but just because these teams, these cities also serve the Padres, and for them to have a chance, I think it's a, I think it's a great time of the year, no matter where you are in baseball. If you're in the playoffs, you're in the playoffs. Well, I mean, I think they place a lot of emphasis on the playoffs, but I think as we talked about on the last one, I think it just depends which guys you have that are going deep in the playoffs. Like I think they place a really big emphasis and all the young guys in Fort Wayne going forward to the playoffs. It's one of the reasons why Tatis, I think, was in Fort Wayne for so long. But, you know, as far as I don't want to feel that either David and I are really being negative on the El Paso guys because, I mean, so many of those guys, we got a tremendous amount of respect for them. They're on their second or third or even fourth chances, and they're still out there grinding every day. And, you know, we think that's great. It's just hard to see some of them as really a big part of the Padres' future. But, you know, right. we, we wish them all the best, and we like them all quite it's a bit, especially guys like Rocky Gale. Right. It's certainly a lot different last year when they went. Yes. They made the decision that they wanted that core four, uh, Margot, Renfro, Aswahi, and Hedges, to stay down there and experience the playoffs as a group. It's a lot different this year than last year. Okay, oh, we're going to wrap it up here. That's the final regular season edition of Padres on Deck, the podcast. I'm Bill Center at Padres Central on Twitter and at Padres.com. And they are David J. and John Conniff at MadFriars.com and at MadFriars on Twitter. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Thanks. a lot.